Shabbat Shalom. You know, recently I had to write some of those words of his on the dashboard of my car or on a piece of paper that I taped to the dashboard of my car. Uh, Proverbs uh, 1911, I believe it is. It is a man's discretion that makes him slow to anger and it is his glory to overlook a transgression. For whenever I'm out there on the road, just saying, I've entitled, I've given um, uh, another title to the parsha. We're in parsha kitavo. Uh, I call it contractual compliance. Last week's parsha was entitled kitetse, when you go out. This week it's kitavo, when you come in. Covering Deuteronomy 26.1 through 29.8. Coming and going. Sounds like the history of the Jewish people, no? Uh, and it all began with our father Abraham. Kitavo opens on a hopeful, joyful note with the command that in the third year we were to bring a tithe of all the first of the produce of the land to the priests serving in the tabernacle at that time. That tithe was to be shared with the Levite, the orphan, the widow, and the foreigner living in our midst. When the worshiper presented his gift, he would make a really unusual confession. My father was a wandering Aramean, an allusion to Abraham. The confession continued with an overview of our history as a people, our humble beginnings, our hardship in Egypt, and an affirmation that our present prosperity defied all the odds, thus demonstrating the kindness and the power of God who had brought us into the promised land. But after all, wasn't that part of his covenant? His contractual agreement with us? Our lives are filled with contractual agreements. Credit card companies, banks, utilities, uh, employers and employees, contractors, even with governments. Every contract has stipulations to which the two parties agree to conform. <coughs> and the world is filled with contracts. And because humanity is fallen, uh, sinful, and selfish, those contracts are frequently broken, which is why the world is also filled with lawyers. Now, before you go off on lawyers and start with the lawyer jokes, let me point out that if all of us would simply honor our word, there would be no need of contracts, let alone enforcement of them by threat of legal action. The book of Deuteronomy is one big covenant document. In fact, it follows the same pattern as many of the ancient Near Eastern treaty documents. They were there were typically five parts to these treaties. There was a preamble in which the two parties are named, an historical prologue, which is a recounting of the events that brought us to this day, uh, the stipulations, the particulars of the covenant, the ratification, which at that time took place with animal sacrifices, and vows of intent to honor the covenant and naming the consequences for its violation, and finally, the calling of witnesses. Now, in the sense that Deuteronomy follows that same kind of pattern, Parashaki Tavo represents the fourth section, the ratifying 
of the covenant, including vows and consequences. In chapter 26, verses 17 and 18, we read this. You have declared this day that Adonai is your God and that you will walk in all his ways, that you will keep his decrees, commands, and laws, and that you will obey him. And Adonai has today declared that you are his people, his treasured possession. That's the ratifying of a covenant. In chapters 27 and 28, Moses commands our people that once we're in the land to assemble on Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim to pronounce blessings for obedience and curses for defiance. In chapter 27, the Levites pronounce 12 curses, specifically for some of the most serious offenses, including deviant sexual practices such as incest and bestiality, corrupting the administration of justice, especially as it would be used to target the weak and vulnerable, uh, curse against idolatry, and the dishonoring of one's parents. God obviously knew that we were going to break the covenant since the promised curses in this chapter are four times longer than the promised blessings. The consequences of defying the covenant would be dreadful. We would forfeit God's protection and be subject to invasion, to famine and starvation, to deportation, and to be in constant fear and torment. It's summed up in this statement in chapter 28. Because you did not serve the Lord your God with joy and a glad heart for the abundance of all things, therefore you shall serve your enemies whom the Lord shall send against you. All these things took place historically. Our ancestors broke faith with God and as a result we went into long and bitter exiles, first into Assyria, later into Babylon. Our cities were laid waste. Jerusalem and the marvelous temple Solomon built were destroyed and hundreds of thousands of people died. All because we violated the covenant into which we willingly entered with Adonai. But that covenant also included the promise that the one who sent us into exile would regather us to the land and restore our prosperity. More importantly, to turn our hearts back to him. In fact, that is the theme of Isaiah chapter 60, which is this week's Haftarah reading. It's a lovely picture of a people forgiven, regathered, living peacefully and prosperously, enjoying the good favor with the surrounding nations and acknowledging Adonai as our everlasting light. And while in our own day, Israel has been reborn as a nation and many Jewish people have returned there, Isaiah's prophecy of peace, prosperity, and favor with the nations still eludes us. And that has to do with the repudiation of the new covenant the one established by God through Messiah, Yeshua. And so long as my people persist in unbelief, we will be left to fend for ourselves, as it were. But by God's unfailing word, Messiah will return. The eyes of Israel will at last be opened and better days will follow. Do you agree with that? 
I hope so, because that's the consensus of all the prophets, right? All of the Torah and the prophets speak to that. Sadly, many today, including far too many Christians, see the rebirth of Israel and the return of my Jewish people to our ancient homeland as little more than circumstantial. Whether through ignorance or outright prejudice, they fail to grasp what God's merciful nature is all about. Even those who are quick to claim grace for themselves somehow insist that Israel must earn the right to be there. Grace for me, but not for thee. Let those of us who enjoy life in this new covenant economy be grateful, not resentful, and not hold a double standard. And I would admonish any who think that God is done with Israel and that the church has somehow replaced her to repent of that arrogance, an arrogance about which we were specifically warned. Adonai is the same gracious, forgiving, covenant-keeping God yesterday, today, yes, and forever. Amen.